Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thank you for joining me today. Glad to have you along for this ride as we look at the book of Ephesians today, particularly Ephesians chapter 2. I am excited to talk about Ephesians chapter 2 with you because Ephesians chapter 2 contains some amazing verses with so much amazing theology. And it's uh, Ephesians is just another one of those books that you start getting into, and it's like a very rich triple chocolate cake or something. I mean, there's just so much there. You could spend a long time just savoring it all. And... Uh, there's so much to see. I mean, there's just no way you could cover this book in one one week. But um, we're just going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2, really focus on the last three verses within that passage. And uh, yeah, make some compares, comparing and contrasting statements between biblical Christianity and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right. So first thing to do would probably be to read the text. And I should say, by the way, in case you haven't uh, learned this about me yet, and I need to adjust my microphone, I think. So hold on. Hold tight. I think that's a little bit better. That makes me feel more comfortable. Okay. Um, if you don't know this about me, I would say that I kind of specialize in New Testament theology. So pastors are kind of like general practitioners when it comes to doctors. We're kind of like family doctors where um, we we have to know a little bit about everything, it seems, when it comes to the world of Christianity and the Bible and what's going on with trends in the world and stuff like that. But we're not so much specialists. You really get specialists in Christianity in the world of academia. A lot of scholars are specialists in certain areas. But like general practitioner doctors, uh, pastors will often have certain areas where they have a little more confidence, um, where they've done more study, and where they just have more interest. And mine would be the area of New Testament theology, particularly Pauline theology, which isn't about some lady named Pauline. It's about uh, the Apostle Paul. It's an adjective used, uh, the theology that comes through the letters he was inspired to write. That's kind of like what I would say is my particular area of expertise, okay? So when we get into Paul's letters here, like we've been looking at since Romans, there's so much I want to talk about, so much I want to see and say and all of that. And uh, that's why I guess I'm just extra excited about these. But it's really the heart of Christianity is how God used Paul to work out some of these theological issues and explain to the church what salvation is and what effect it should have on people. Okay. With all that said, we should get into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Paul writing to Christians in Ephesus, people who have believed in Jesus who lived in the city of Ephesus. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Wow, lots of good stuff there. And like I said, we're going to do a little bit of uh, compare and contrasting with Mormon theology or the uh, teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you would prefer me to say it that way. But before that, we, of course, have to know what this says. The first three verses of chapter 2 here are all about the former manner of life that these Ephesians had. These Christians who were living in the city of Ephesus, they used to be dead. See that right at the beginning of the, of the chapter? You were dead. And they were dead in their trespasses and sins because of their sin nature and their willful rebellion against their creator. They had rendered, rendered themselves spiritually dead, unable to live spiritually. And they evidenced it, this deadness, by the way that they lived out their lives working uh, out the desires of the flesh and of the mind that they were living out the lusts of the flesh. They were just had these sinful impulses, and they would carry them out with the way that they lived. They were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in all children of disobedience, all people who have rejected Jesus Christ, all sinners. That is Satan himself and his demons. They were following Satan and demons, being influenced by them, And notice that it says this, too, by nature, they were children of wrath. Uh, Latter-day Saints teach that we are by nature all children of God, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says by nature, we are actually children of the devil. We're children of wrath. All of mankind, he says, you were that way. You were children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. But God, because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his grace, these very important New Testament words, he came to us, made us alive together with Christ, it says, raised us up with Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. It's just an amazing thing. So that he might show the riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So a lot of like the same words being used over and over again, but he's saying here that God came to us. We were dead. God came to us and made us alive. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who have found life in Christ, God is the one who made us alive. A dead man can't make himself alive. A a child of wrath can't make himself a child of God. This is God's work in coming to us, making us alive in Christ, that we would not only understand what Jesus did by dying in our place for our sins and rising again, but that we would believe in his name and have life in his name and now be totally different people, 
be born again and have a new nature. Instead of being by nature children of wrath, we would be by nature children of God. And he he explains this, or sums it up, I guess you could say, in verses 8 and 9 by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Very, very important phrase. By grace you have been saved through faith. And we'll break that down here in a moment. And that not of yourselves. What is not of yourselves? The salvation or the faith? Well, I'd say both of those, actually. There's, there's no credit going to you, no boasting going to you if you are a true believer in Jesus. This is the gift of God. It's the working of God. It's the power of God. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. That, we get that in the New Testament in Philippians 1, 29, I believe. Also in Romans chapter 12 talks about that. Yeah, uh, Romans 12. And so salvation, this this grace we've experienced as Christians is the gift of God. This whole going from dead to li- dead to living, that's a gift of God. This is a free gift of God. That's what a gift is. It's free. And just to make it extra clear, he says in verse 9, not as a result of works. The salvation is not a result of works. The faith that you have is not a result of works. It's not working your way to a believing status. It's not working your way toward a saved status. It's not a result of works. No one may boast. You may not pat yourself on the back for being alive. God is the one who made you alive. All right? So when you read that passage, just it's so amazing. Um, it's like Paul is going out of his way to make this abundantly clear. God saves based on his grace. It is his gift. There is nothing that you could have done to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. This is a gift of God. Well, grace is clearly a major term here in the passage. I mean, there's so much more I want to point out to you in the passage, but time is of the essence because this is a podcast, not a sit and chat with me for hours on end cast. Um, Grace is a very important word here. It says in verse 6, parenthetically, for it is by grace you have been saved. And it says in verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is really important. So how do we define grace? Um, A really basic, simple definition is God's unmerited favor. It's the unmerited favor of God. Now, there is an aspect in which it is the help of God also. Uh, So... For instance, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul had his thorn in the flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh, the Lord chose not to do that and said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we, we ask for God's grace to get through difficult times, meaning God helps us uh, to do what we need to do to honor Him. It's by His grace. However, it also means God's unmerited favor. And when we're talking about salvation— That's the way that Paul is using it here. When he says that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, it's not talking about God helping us to do the works we need to do in order to be saved. It's saying that salvation is actually totally apart from works, and it's all of grace, meaning you have done nothing to merit the favor of God. He has given you his favor in Christ Jesus. You have been been shown the love of God full and free, in Jesus, apart from your own efforts. Now, I want to contrast that with um, something that we see in the Book of Mormon. 
the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi, chapter 25, is interesting because it essentially makes reference to Ephesians 2, but it changes something, okay? So I, I just read to you Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. I went into verse 9 a little bit, but that's how it reads. Grace through faith, not of works. Well, the Book of Mormon talks about grace, but it leaves some important stuff out. Okay, so let's jump over there to 2 Nephi 25, and let's look at verses 22 and 23. It says, Wherefore, these things shall go from generation to generation as long as the earth shall stand, and they shall go according to the will and pleasure of God, and the nations who shall possess them shall be judged of them according to the words which are written. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So um, verse 23 here is talking about being reconciled to God and believing in Christ. Okay, so this is salvation stuff. It says, believe in Christ, be reconciled to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved, yes, after all we can do. So notice this sounds a lot like Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. Now, it's also past tense here in Ephesians chapter 2, because for Christians, our salvation, though there's a full salvation we're awaiting with the resurrection and our glorification in a future bodily state, it's also past tense in that when God saves you, He has saved you. It happened in the past, and it's a done deal. For by grace you have been saved. Book of Mormon says, for by grace we are saved. Ephesians 2 says, we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. That's pretty important stuff. Whereas Second Nephi 25 says, for it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. After all we can do. That's a major difference, isn't it? A major difference between those two explanations of how we are to be saved. On the one hand, if the, the Bible, it says that it's through faith, not of works. It's a free gift of God. On the other hand, the Book of Mormon says, you have to do everything that you can do, and then grace somehow kicks in. Which doesn't really make any sense when we consider how Paul uses the word grace. So now to um, illustrate my point, I want to uh, go back to the guys that we heard from last week, Taylor and Tyler, over at Scripture Central, used to be called Book of Mormon Central. And uh, they are talking about Ephesians chapter 2 and about grace here in uh, verses 8 and, and 9. And I want you to hear their explanation of grace and contrast it with what Paul is saying. They're trying to explain what Paul is saying, but they're actually changing the fundamental or the core message of what Paul is actually saying. So I want you to hear it in their words so you can um, understand more of the LDS perspective that I'm critiquing. So uh, 
they were a little loud last week. I've turned them down. Let me turn them down just a little bit more. So it should be equal volume with me speaking. But let's hear their explanation of being saved by grace. Let's just paint the context again that when Paul was in Ephesus, this is one of the leading Greco-Roman cities. It was full of some of the greatest architectural marvels dedicated to all the different Greek and Roman gods. I forgot I had this on a higher speed, didn't I? Oh, I need to put that down to normal speed. Okay, so he's talking about the context of the city of Ephesus, how they had a bunch of pagan gods there, and uh, Paul here was writing to a people that come from, uh, many people who come from a pagan background, and so... Uh, He's setting the context for that. And if you're watching on video, they're about to show some like B-roll or something from a movie, some sort of video uh, that was supposed to look like the Middle East. And so they're going to play that over them talking, just so you know. Um, but I want you just to focus on the audio here. Focus on what he's saying. And in most of those religious sediments, the way that those religions worked, to worship the Greek or Roman gods, is you had all sorts of works that you had to do to appease the gods or to convince the gods that you deserved something from them. So for the Ephesians, you're gonna realize that Paul is being very fixated on teaching grace and faith against works, in part because these people who were Gentiles, not Jews who'd grown up with the whole works-based thing, they had to keep the commandments. The Gentiles knew, if I want the grace of these gods in my society, I have to do all sorts of works. Okay. So, so far, yeah, okay, that's sounding pretty correct, right? I mean, he's pitting grace against our own works in order to earn something with God. Uh, that's what Paul's doing in the letter, I think, so far. I don't know if this is Taylor or Tyler speaking, but uh, so far, yeah, okay, sounding pretty good. But keep listening. This is why you have to listen very closely. You have to be discerning. Listen to, how, to what else he says here. And Paul's trying to counteract that. And we have to just put ourselves in that context and realize really how earth-shattering this doctrine is. That, no, the gods that you are serving have actually, they don't exist. There's one God who actually has served you. He has served you freely. And all he asks is for you to receive that gift. Now, okay. Sounding good, right? Like still, up to this point, still sounding good. God actually came to earth, and of course we have disagreements on what, he, what that even means, but we'll just, okay, take, take the words for what they are at face value here, and I'll use my own definitions as I'm hearing him. And it's like, okay, yes, God came to earth. He served us. He washed our feet, right? There's nothing we can do to earn favor with God. You are called to receive Jesus, receive the free gift of salvation. Okay, yeah, sounds good. But now listen to what he says. There are some obligations of receiving the free gift. There are some obligations for receiving the free gift. What? <laughs> how how is that a free gift anymore? I mean, can you imagine Christmas morning? Uh, t take yourself back in your mind's eye to when you were a kid. Okay, maybe that'll be uh, easier for you. And uh, you are unwrapping these gifts that your parents have gotten you. Say five gifts, wonderful, amazing things that you wanted. Um, and they say, okay, the total for that was. Uh, $117.13. So um, 
next year, we'll just put you to work until you pay us back. And then you could keep working if you want or uh, not, but we just need to get recouped that 117. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is no longer a gift then, right? This is no longer a gift. I have to pay there. There's obligation in order to receive the gift. Well, then it's no longer a gift. Then it's a wage. I'm working to earn it. That's essentially what he's saying. It, it makes zero sense that anyone would have to work in order to receive a gift that was said to be free. <laughs> I mean, is the is the gift free or is it not, right? Because if the gift is free, then there's nothing that, that you could do to earn it because it's given to you. That's really critical to understand. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, um, going back to that passage, sorry, let me flip over there. Uh, he says specifically that it is the gift of God. The salvation that we have, the faith that we have in Christ is the gift of God. So if it's a gift, how could God turn around and charge us for it? That's the illustration that's being used here um, is a free gift. And for someone to say, well, it comes with obligations to actually receive it, that totally destroys the whole definition of what a gift is. Consider here in, um, let me flip over to Romans chapter 11. He's talking about Israel, Paul is, and he says, At the present time, there's a remnant of Israelites, according to God's gracious choice, that there are some believers in Jesus who are Israelites, and the reason why they've believed and the rest of the nation hasn't believed is because God has chosen them for salvation. Okay, Romans chapter 11. And he says, look, if it's by grace, their salvation... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. That's Romans 11.6. If salvation is on the basis of works, then grace is no longer grace. So if we go back to Ephesians 2 and consider, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If that gift comes with obligations in order to actually receive the gift, then you could not rightly say that you've been saved by grace. Paul would be contradicting himself because if it's by works, grace is no longer grace. That's Paul's theology. That's Paul's gospel that he preaches. Okay, so let's... uh, Okay, and now I got myself all messed up here. I don't know if there was much more that I wanted to look at in this video, but let me play just a little more to see how they finish that thought. And Paul does talk about that. But first and foremost, stop thinking you have to earn the love of any of these fake gods or the real God. Okay, let's go back and hear that in context, because doesn't it sound like he's contradicting himself a bit here? Okay, let's go back uh, to here and, and play the statement in full again. One God who actually has served you. He has served you freely, and all he asks is for you to receive that gift. Now, there are some obligations of receiving the free gift, and Paul does talk about that. But first and foremost, stop thinking you have to earn 
the love of any of these fake gods or the real God. All right. So I think what he's saying is, I think he's saying that you don't have to earn God's love because God has shown you his love by the fact that Jesus has died. Uh, I don't think he would say focus so much on the death of Christ, but that Jesus has come and he's the risen savior. Um, That shows that God loves us. But I think what he's saying is that, but to get that personally applied to yourself, you do have to follow these obligatory, obligatory rules and commandments in order to get that salvation that is offered. So, the salvation is offered, he's saying, and that shows that you don't have to earn the love of God because, or that you don't have to earn the offer of salvation because God's already made it. However, to actually receive it, you do have to work. You do have to earn it. You do have to put yourself through a system of obeying commands. And that, again, is just not what the Bible teaches. I want to continue to press into this because it is so critically important. And I uh, want to show you a page on, uh, let's do this, the um, churchofjesuschrist.org website, the Mormon Church's official website, if I could phrase it that way, and it's about grace. So this is the study manual, gospel topics, grace. And it says, grace is the divine help or strength extended to us through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. Again, in the Bible, grace is not primarily the help or strength given to us to work. That's like a secondary definition, and that is uh, used in cases where people have already experienced the primary definition of grace. People who have experienced the grace of God and salvation, where he gives us a free gift. He doesn't give us help to earn the gift. He gives us the free gift. He gives us unmerited favor. And after that, we then get help from God to live out the life that he's called us to live. And that, of course, is his grace. But the primary definition, as it pertains to salvation is God's unmerited favor shown toward us in Christ. But you don't see that in their definition here. It says that grace is the divine help or strength extended to us through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It continues, Through the grace of God, everyone who has lived will be resurrected. Our spirits will be reunited with our bodies, never again to be separated. Through his grace, the Lord also enables those who live his gospel to repent and be forgiven. That's a very interesting sentence. It is through grace, it says, that the Lord enables. So it is through the help that he gives that we are enabled, but not all of us, only those who live his gospel are enabled to then after they are living his gospel on their own and then make them they make themselves candidates for grace that his grace comes and they are enabled to repent and be forgiven that's a really kind of messed up way of looking at salvation isn't it that you are called to live his gospel which what does that mean uh, that's not a biblical phrase we're not called to live his gospel we are told that the gospel is good news that it's already been done, that Jesus has paid it all. That's the gospel. So there's nothing to live with the gospel. There's something to believe. And then there are commands, of course, that follow, but those are for people who have believed the gospel, not 
people who live his gospel qualifying themselves to receive his help and his strength in order to be enabled to then repent and be forgiven. The steps are all out of order. It's, I mean, they're, they're, like, they're like totally out of order. I would say that we experience God's grace and salvation by receiving the free gift, meaning there's nothing we pay. We receive the gift absolutely freely, the gift of salvation by believing in what Jesus has done. There, then at that point, we are forgiven. The fruits of repentance appear in our life because the grace of God working through us is bringing about righteousness and holy living. His divine help and His strength then are working in our lives as a result of salvation. Here we have you being called to live his gospel, to qualify yourself or make yourself an acceptable candidate to receive then his grace. And then once that happens, then you're forgiven. My gospel starts with forgiveness and ends with holy living. This gospel begins with holy living and ends with forgiveness if you're good enough two different Gospels. And to illustrate this point further, uh, it says down in this paragraph, it says, uh, because of personal choices, everyone also experiences the effects of sin. These effects are called spiritual death. No one can return to the presence of God without divine grace. Through the atonement, we all can be forgiven of our sins. We can all become clean before God. To receive this enabling power. Okay, so if grace is enabling power and we are called to receive grace, this sentence that's coming is extremely important. To receive the grace of God is what this is saying. We must obey. How can grace, this free gift of God, be earned through our obedience? It can't. Are you, are you, I hope that you're watching this on video so you can just see this with your own eyes. I mean, it is, it is so counterintuitive. In order to receive grace, we must obey. To receive this enabling power, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it gives steps. It includes having faith in him. Now, I would say that is the end of obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we do have the obedience of the gospel as a term in Scripture that we have to define, and it would be defined as submitting to Christ as Lord and Savior, meaning having faith in Him, not trying to be your own Lord, not trying to be your own Savior, but recognizing Him as Lord and Savior, so not submitting to Him with a life of holy living that ends with forgiveness of sins. I've already said that's a different gospel but instead recognizing him as Lord and Savior, trusting in him, having faith in him is obeying the gospel, period. But this says that obeying the gospel includes having faith in him, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. How do you receive grace? Well, you try to be obedient for the rest of your life. That's what that says. That's a different gospel. And they have the, I would say, the audacity to throw Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 here, uh, to throw it in as a reference. 
Like it would back up that teaching and it totally does not back up that teaching, which I believe I've demonstrated. And it also includes second Nephi 25, 23, which I read to you earlier, which says, for it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. A verse that totally contradicts Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. See how confused this gospel is? See how confused these teachings are? Because there's a rejection of the free gift. There's a rejection of the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. There's a rejection of Jesus himself who can be received on the basis of faith alone. By grace, through faith, we can come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness of sins in an instant, in this very moment right now, if you cry out to him and you say, Lord, I am a sinner, please forgive me on the basis of what Jesus has done, you will receive forgiveness of sins once for all. But not according to the LDS gospel, not according to the gospel topic uh, essay here that I've been reading about grace. You have to Obey the teachings of Jesus for the rest of your life, or try to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life in order to qualify for salvation. And that is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what we're reading here in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Paul uses the first person plural here a couple of times in verse 10. We. We are his workmanship, that we would walk in the good works that he's prepared beforehand. Who's the we? Christians, those who have been forgiven on the basis of faith. By God's grace, through faith, They have received forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life that no one will ever take away or reverse. And now, for the rest of their life on earth, they enter into a life of good works on the basis of that salvation that was freely given to them. And these good works have been prepared beforehand by God that they would walk in them to His honor and glory forever. Well, I hope that clarifies grace a bit because the LDS Church has really confused that subject. If you have any questions for me, any comments, please reach out, orchardhillsbiblechurch.com. Find us on Facebook or YouTube. Drop a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And I really do hope that you have come to know biblical grace because it changes everything. It's a total game changer. And if you've not experienced that, uh, what you're doing actually is enslaving yourself. Enslaving yourself to the world, to your own efforts, and you'll never experience the freedom that you can have in Christ. But that freedom is available if you would receive the free gift of God, this salvation offered in Jesus. Thanks for listening.